This is the word of the Lord. When he came down from the mountain, great clouds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to them, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you that with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. She rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what the pro- spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for your scripture. I pray, Lord, that now as we dig into it, as we try to understand it, that, Lord, your name would be made great, that we would understand you and know you better through our time spent in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking here at Matthew chapter 8. Sorry, I've been talking a lot today. As we look at this chapter, I'm struck by how straightforward it is. How straightforward it is that Jesus came down off the mountain. He bumps into a leper. Leper is healed. Centurion, he heals the centurion's servant, goes to Peter's house, heals his mother-in-law, does lots of other healings, and we move on. Seems pretty straightforward. However, there's something else here. And it kind of reminds me of good books or good movies or television shows. You know, the ones where you start off and you're, you're, you think you're watching a certain type of show and then there's a twist and all of a sudden it's something totally different. From watching a movie thinking it's a murder mystery to at the very end realizing he's talking to ghosts the whole time. Or maybe it's a series of movies and you've been watching thinking, that bad guy, he's really bad, just to learn he's your father. (laughs) Or maybe it's a mystery where you're, you're reading the novel, I'm a big Agatha Christie fan, and you're reading the novel and you're going along and you're going, oh, that's the killer, I know it, you can't pull one over on me, Agatha, I got this, just to have the wool pulled out from the end. And you go, What? And so it makes you want to go back and reread and go, how did I miss that? Those good novels, those good movies where you watch it a second time with new eyes and you go, how did I miss it? How did I not see that? And that's exactly what happened to me with this passage. See, it's really clear that Jesus is on to something big. Something big is happening here. 
In this chapter and the next one, we get a healing of a leper, a centurion servant, Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus stills a storm, he casts out a demon, heals a paralytic, he calls his disciples, brings a little girl back to life, heals a woman from a bleeding illness, restores sight to two blind men, and restores speaking ability to a man possessed by a demon, and oh, by the way, casts the demon out. And that's all just in two chapters. This is a pretty amazing section of Scripture. Nine stories, ten miracles, and Jesus is just getting started. But Matthew is trying to tell us something in this passage. See, the thing about history, because that's what this is, Jesus has gone from teaching, which we call didactic, now down to narrative, which means this is a story. This story is not static. Matthew's not telling us everything that happened. Instead, he's saying, look at these three. They matter. There's something going on here. See, the one thing we know for sure is that Matthew is amazed by Jesus. There is a definite amazement by Jesus. How do we know that? Well, Matthew hasn't even been called it as a disciple yet, but he knows all of these stories. Why? Because he researched and he asked people and said, what happened here? What happened there? He researched the genealogy of Jesus. There's passion here. Matthew is amazed by Christ. It's time for us to be amazed as well. So Jesus preaches, he comes down, he heals a leper, heals a centurion servant and his mother-in-law, mother-in-law, all to fulfill prophecy. Now, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard sermons on each of these stories, maybe even a line from these stories. Some of my favorite preachers are guys that channel their inner Puritan, and they preach on like four words, and they have books and books on just this section. And while that is amazing, and I know for a fact that Pastor Scott, who just got done preaching, and uh, Elder Rick down at the uh, Wilsonville campus, their sermons are very different from the one I'm bringing you today. Not because one's right and one's wrong, but because there's so much here. And I want to point to something that, honestly, I've missed every time I've read this. And it was one of those aha moments where I was like, really? Is that really there? Because I think I'm seeing it. Maybe I need to go get something to eat. It's not hangry, but it's like imagining things that are in the text. I need to go get something to eat and see if this stays. And praise be to God that the moment that I was done thinking the thought of, okay, Lord, is that from you? I turned the page in the, the commentary I was in, and the commentator goes, oh, and by the way, did you see this? And I went, oh, what? That's there? I didn't, well, how, how did I miss that? See, there's a bigger picture here. The entire point of this section is the entire point of the entire Bible. Now, normally at this point, I would say, here's my big idea. I don't want it to put, I don't want to get it out of the, I don't want the cat out of the bag yet. We're going to leave it to the end. This is going to be some show and tell today. I'm going to show you what it says, and then I'll tell you at the end. All right, so we're going to get into this. And in order to get this, we got to go all the way back to the beginning. Not of this service, not of this week, but the beginning of the beginning. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam is created. God creates the entire universe in six days, rests on the seventh. He creates a helper for, for Adam, and Adam has got it good. Adam is chilling in the garden. Look at Acts, uh, Genesis chapter 3. This is a verse, Adam has already sinned. Eve and Adam have both eaten of the fruit they were not supposed to even though they were allowed to eat of all the fruit, including the fruit of the tree of life, which means live forever. 
And they have eaten. But look at this verse. This is a kind of a weird verse. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So there's a couple things here. First, they recognize the sound of God. You know, have you ever done that? I, last night, middle of the night, well, not middle of the night, it was pretty early in the night, I heard footsteps. And Katie and I were like, oh, one of our kids is up. We went, well, it didn't sound like an elephant, so I know it's not my oldest. <laughs> it was kind of sneaky sounding, so it can't be my youngest. It must be my daughter. And it was. Olivia was having a hard time sleeping. Now, granted, the reason why my, my eldest sounds like an elephant is because he's almost as tall as me at 13, which is scary. But they recognize, they recognize God's footsteps. Why? See, we don't have, there's no time words after the first two chapters in Genesis. We don't know how long Adam and Eve were hanging out in the garden. My guess is it was a while. And Adam and Eve knew God intimately. Look what it says. They tried to hide from his presence. So Adam and Eve were created and put in this garden to have relationship with God. And what God said was, don't eat of that fruit, because when you do, it breaks relationship, and that's not going to be good for you. You will die. So first thing we see is man was made for relationship with God. We were meant to be intimate with God. Look at verse 22 of Genesis 3. It says, the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, i.e., explanation, he didn't want us to live in our rebellion for eternity. So actually, Adam and Eve, death was mercy on God's part. Imagine, I mean, just think about how much trouble y'all have gotten in in your lifetime. Imagine if you had another thousand years. I mean, God help us. What would our world be like if some of the people that die early and are terrible, imagine if they'd have had another thousand years. Wow. But see, he loved Adam and Eve, and he said, I am not going to let you stay in your sin forever. There is going to come an end. And look what he does next. Therefore the Lord sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Remember, the garden was compact. It was between those rivers in Persia, right there. And he kicks him out and says, you can't go in here. Then it says, he drove the man out east of the garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim, that's a gigantic angel with a sword it's the warrior angel with a flaming sword for good measure because a sword with an angel wouldn't be enough but a flaming sword is even worse and turned every way to guard the way that turned every way to guard the tree of life so adam and eve sin they bring sin in it breaks relationship with god god goes i love you too much to let you stay in your sin forever get out of my garden and he posts a big keep out sign in the, in, the, in the fact that it was a gigantic sword saying, don't come in here. Danger. Now, why is there danger for us with sin being in God's presence? See, God is pure righteousness. God is pure goodness. And even a taint of sin in us is enough to destroy us. And God goes, you can't be in my presence because it will destroy you. So you must flee from my presence. You must be away from me. And God says, keep out. Not just keep out right outside. He says, you're gone. Get out. You're going into the wilderness. You can't be on the edges of the garden, kind of in, kind of out. No, you're out. You're done. And this is the way it stayed. We're going to kind of overview the whole Bible. So I hope you guys got some time. 
Moving forward into Exodus, right? We're looking at Exodus chapter 3 now. So God has reached out to Abraham, and he's got this group of people, the Israelites, that he's sort of telling certain people about himself, and the Israelites get, 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 have to leave the promised land, and they go to Egypt, and then in Egypt, they eventually get, they get taken over by the Egyptians. The Egyptians subjugate them, and they're building things. Then lo and behold, a Hebrew named Moses is born. This Moses is raised by the Egyptians through a circumstances that I'm sure you're all familiar with, and then kills, an, kills a, a man and has to flee to the middle of nowhere. And when he's out in the middle of nowhere, he's watching his sheep, and he sees up on the hill a bush that is burning. He goes, it's not being consumed. As a matter of fact, it's this huge fire, and it's not going anywhere. So Moses walks up to it. Verse 4 of chapter 3 of Exodus. When the Lord saw that, he turned aside to see. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place you are standing is holy ground. We like to think that, that, that Moses kept walking up closer, but you notice what God said. Don't come any closer, and where you're at right now is actually holy. God is still at arm's length. He's still keeping fallen humanity away, even his servant Moses. He says, you can't come any closer. You're going to die. You're done. We see this a little bit later in Exodus 19, when Moses goes up on the mountain. He's on Mount Sinai, and he's up there communing and talking with God. Again, at an arm's length, but it's so much so that he says, don't allow people onto the mountain. Look at what it says in verse 12. You shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go onto the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. And the Israelites put markers all around the mountain to say, don't go up there. Keep out. Stay away. We see this again in Exodus 33 where Moses says, show me your glory. Verse 18. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. The Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you can stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by you, you will be in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover your face until I pass by. And then you will see the back of me as I'm walking away. Again, God the Father, unapproachable. We can't go near him because of our sin, because of our, our rebellion. The keep out sign is still there. Don't approach him. Moses comes down off the mountain. God the Father's presence as he wants it to be on that mountain stays on the mountain and does not commune with the people. And this worked okay, except for if you read the rest of Exodus, you know they rebel and they rebel and they rebel. So God says, I'm going to give you a place where you can come and meet with me. And so he creates what's called the tabernacle. The tabernacle is a tent version of what will be called the temple. Now the temple I'm going to show you here on the picture. This is a picture of the temple. This is Herod's temple. God makes the temple. God has Solomon make the temple. Herod copies it, makes it look really important. This is the actual temple. I got this on Amazon, and it's awesome. Okay, I'm just going to tell you that. All right? Apparently, it's a cat toy. I'm not sure how that works. All right. So this is the temple, and then this is the first court, 
This is the court of the priests, and then this is the court of the women, and then outside here will be the outer courts and walls. Go ahead and go to the next slide, Kyle. So you can see it here. There is this holy place, and then the most holy place, or the holy of holies. This is God's way of reaching out to man. He says, now God is omnipresent. He's everywhere in the universe, but he says, I'm going to make my presence really, really felt on this one spot on earth on the top of a mountain called Mount Moriah, which is where Jerusalem is situated. And he says, this is how it's going to be. There's going to be levels of access to me. There's going to be people that are not allowed into my presence. Go ahead and go to the next slide there, Kai. This is what it looked like for Herod's temple. The priests would come in here and they would do sacrifices outside. They would come inside and they would do certain rituals. And then they had this gigantic curtain here. This gigantic curtain to separate God's presence as it was most clearly felt on earth right there in the Holy of Holies. This Holy of Holies was a completely dark room. Inside it would have been the Ark of the Covenant. It probably wasn't there in Jesus' time. It disappeared. You can watch Indiana Jones to find out where it was. <laughs> but once a year, the high priest would enter through this curtain. Now, what's on the curtain? Cherubim, holding flaming swords. Inside the Holy of Holies, we know from how it was described by God, inside the Holy of Holies is decorated like a garden. And the high priest once a year would enter into the garden, having sacrificed for himself first, and then taking the sacrificial blood for all of Israel, he would walk into the Holy of Holies. Now, if he didn't confess his sins before he went into there, and he came into God's presence, guess what happens? Thud, right? The high priest as tradition tells us, would have had a rope tied around his leg, and if they were, he was in there for an extra long amount of time, they'd realize he didn't confess his sins, and he brought sin into the presence of God, and sin in the presence of God is death for us. So the high priest enters into this relationship, he goes in there, he sprinkles the blood, and then he backs out, and if it's, if it's me, I'm wiping my forehead and going, glad I got that done, I didn't end up dying for a sin I didn't remember. But this high priest goes in. This is a picture of the garden. This is a picture of how it was. But praise be to God, this is not how it stayed. Because if you notice, the keep out sign is still there. One person, once a year, if he's lucky and if he's repented, gets to be with God. Everybody else, you're outside. And some are even more outside than others. So this is what Jesus came for. So look at verse 1. Jesus came down from the mountain. God the Father stayed there. Jesus did not stay. Praise the Lord. He came down from the mountain. God is coming down to meet us where we are and say, I am bridging the gap. Jesus comes and says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the one who's going to make it. What did John the Baptist say? It's the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. That blood that that high priest is sprinkling, that was blood that was covering the sins for that time, for that year, for just the nation of Israel. Jesus is the Lamb that takes away the blood, takes the blood that takes away the sins of the entire world. This is why Jesus came. God stayed there and showed man how to relate with him. Jesus comes down and goes, 
I'm going to show you something new. I'm going to show you even more. So what does Jesus do when he comes down from the mountain? He was up there teaching, right? Just like Moses. He got the law. He came and he told the people what to do. Jesus comes down and he begins by healing. It says he did many healings. healed everyone. See, Jesus has authority. That's how we left last week when I said, hey, that guy has authority. He's coming down and he's now exercising authority. And what he's doing is he's taking himself and he's making little pockets of heaven all over the place. What he's doing is he's healing and his miracles are undoing the fall. He's unraveling the knot of sin. Now, sin doesn't cause all of our diseases. It's not like, well, I have a headache, therefore I must have sinned. The Bible doesn't support that. But the fact that we fell introduced all of the pain and suffering and disease into our world. And so, indirectly, Adam and Eve's sin is responsible for all the bad things that have happened, whether it's done by a person in sin or it just happens. So this unweaving. Now, where do we see this? Look at Revelation chapter 21. Jesus is bringing us little glimpses, little pockets of heaven that we will see at the end of time. Revelation 21. This is after the final judgment. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The curse is done. There's no keep out sign. The keep out sign is torn up. Now God is dwelling with us, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And how Jesus shows us this is the next part. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. There neither shall be mourning, crying, pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I'm making all things new. So when Jesus came, he did not heal the girl in a couple weeks when we talk about it and she never died he healed her and she still had to die he healed the leper the leper still died the centurion's servant still died death had not been conquered yet but he was giving us this little glimpse these little pockets of this is not what it's going to end up like and jesus illustrates this undoing of the curse through his healings but matthew chooses these three Specifically, Now look at verse 16. Skip ahead in chapter 8 there of Matthew. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. He cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. Many came, all came out healed. So Matthew's saying, there was lots of other stories, but I'm not telling them. I'm telling these three stories. See, history books can't tell everything. They tell exemplars or they give examples of what's going on. So Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, these three matter, and they're the ones that I'm going to tell you about, and I'm going to show you why they matter. See, Matthew is painting a picture of separation between God and man finally being destroyed. We saw it in the temple, where there's people that are outside, and then there's a person that can go to the inside. Jesus comes and he says, I'm breaking down the wall. I am breaking it out. At the end, we saw just in Revelation, the garden returns to earth, but instead of being this little pocket garden between two, four rivers in Persia, it becomes a garden world, a garden world that has one city in the middle and it spreads out throughout this brand new earth. 
See, Jesus comes down off the mountain to show his authority. He's beginning his rescue mission. He came down the mountain. He came to us. But it, it, all of, the, all of the, the Old Testament laws were about us approaching God and how we had to do it a certain way. And, and even that didn't work. Even the prophets said, what is the good of a blood of lambs and bulls and goats? What is the point? The point is, God was showing that we needed something else. And that something else is Christ. He heals us by approaching us. Let's look at these three healings, and then I'll tell you how they all tie together. Verse 2, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will make me clean, Lord, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So this leprosy is called Hansen's disease, after the man that figured out what actually causes it. In the New Testament, this was one of a host of skin diseases. Lepers were supposed to stay away from the population. It was believed that you could pass it through touch. We know now that you can't. It's not that kind of disease. But they didn't know that at this time, and so a leper would make sure that they looked a certain way, and they would yell, unclean, unclean, because people avoided them. They were unclean. But their uncleanness was not just, I could spread a disease to you. Their uncleanness meant they were cut off from what the high priest was doing in the temple, which meant a leper is in his sins and has no hope of redemption. There is no way. He can't go into the temple. He is not allowed in to do the sacrifices. So in his mind, he's on the highway to hell. He is on his way there with no hope. See, this leper recognizes that he cannot save himself. He knew he was unclean. The first thing he had to recognize before he came to Christ was that he had a problem. He goes, I'm unclean. That guy is supposedly a miracle worker. He's a great teacher. He's got authority. I'm going to go to him. Notice he recognizes he's fully unclean. Not just partially unclean, but fully unclean. Imagine if we only had Jesus clean the parts that we wanted. None of us would be going to heaven. Because we'd say, yeah, I got all this handled over here. Just clean this little bit here. And the rest of me is going to be destroyed by the presence of God because of the sin that's there. He recognizes Jesus as Lord. He says, Lord, which recognizes him as king. Then he says, if you will. This is not a demand it's a respectful asking. Think about this leper. If he's of any age, he's had people come through and pretend that they could heal him. He's been disappointed over and over again. And he goes to Jesus and he goes, Lord, if you will, if you will, you can. The leper sees Jesus as the one who is competent. And then look at this. Jesus reaches out and touches him. This would have been the first time this leper had felt a person touch him. And knowing Jesus, he touched a place that he hadn't felt in a while. Leprosy makes the nerve endings die, and, and you just get, your body falls to sleep, and you run into things, and things get messed up, and you don't know, and they don't heal. Imagine if he's got leprosy on his arm, and he hasn't felt anything, and then Jesus goes and touches him, and he goes, oh, I felt that. Isn't that the gospel? 
Jesus comes to us and he doesn't just leave us and say, hey, believe these things, it's good for you. No, he comes and he touches us and we go, that's what life feels like. And this is what Jesus is doing when he leaves the mountain. Verse 4, the priest is who the leper has to go get approved by so he can re-enter society. Jesus is breaking down the wall between society and this leper through his healing. See, Jesus will not storm into Israel with his Messiah, messianic claim. Instead, he will knock quietly at its door and he will go leper to leper, little to little, pocket of heaven to pocket of heaven until he announces himself as king when he returns. This is the picture that we see with the leper. Now let's move on to the centurion. Verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed. This centurion was a soldier's soldier. He was in charge of up to a hundred soldiers. He was a Gentile. And because of this, Jews were not allowed to associate with him and most definitely not allowed to go into his house. So this shocks Jesus. It's not the only surprise in this story. This is the longest portion of the story. First of all, the centurion approached Jesus. This means he goes to Jesus for help. This was a surprise because a centurions and the Jews did not associate together. The second thing is he says, Lord, Centurions had actually tattooed onto their arm, Caesar is Lord. But yet Jesus says, no, you're the true Lord. He appeals on the behalf of a servant, not a child, not a wife, not a mother, not a family member, but a servant. Jesus says, he will come, which is a surprise. Again, he's not allowed to go under a Gentile's roof. Then the fifth we see is that the Gentile goes, I'm not worthy. I am so not worthy of you coming here. What an incredible understanding of his relationship, not only to Jesus, but to anyone who is part of God. This response, most of us would not say anything like, I'm not worthy. We would say something like, boy, God's glad to have me. I'm something special. I make, the, I make this church better. But this man who comes before Jesus says, no, don't, don't. Just say the word, you're powerful enough. And Jesus is marveling at this and says, wow, if only everyone in Israel had this kind of faith. And then the seventh thing we see, some would be surprised that there's a feast in heaven. They've got an imaginary heaven where we're all floating around on clouds. No, in heaven there's going to be food and good food, and it doesn't do anything to your waist. 
Maybe people would be surprised by Jesus speaking about hell, forgetting that Jesus spoke on hell quite a bit. No, the real shocker here is that Jesus says, many of the sons of the kingdom, which is a code word for Israel, he says, many of the Israelites will not be in heaven because they're still at arm's length. They're still at the keep out from God. And he says, but those outside the kingdom that get it will be at the feast. See, in verse 12, Jesus speaks on hell. But I want to point something out here. Almost every single time Jesus talks about hell, it's not to non-believers. It's to believers. Hell is not something that you get a pagan who doesn't want anything to do with God to not, to not do that and become a Christian. Jesus doesn't go, hey, you centurion, you're going to hell. You better be over here with us. No, the hell is always used in the count of people who go, yeah, I'm right with God. Uh, we're like this. Jesus goes, wow, you know, there's going to be a lot of people in hell. And the guy's going, well, not me, of course. But hell is always used by Christ to say, do you understand if you don't have relationship with me, if we have no relationship of intimacy with God, then hell, the outer darkness, is where you are destined. We must let Jesus' words hit us here. He is saying the people that expect to be there will not be there because their God is still at arm's length. They are not embracing Christ, who's the one who extended God's arms to us. Verse 14, we see the last healing. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. She rose and began to serve him. Peter's mother-in-law was not saved was not healed because of her relationship to Jesus or to Peter. She was healed because of Jesus' compassion on her. He saw a need and he went and he healed her. See, there's three miracles here, right? The leper comes to Jesus. The centurion comes to Jesus on behalf of another. And then Jesus goes to Peter's mother-in-law. And that tells us it's not always the same with Jesus, but it does tell us we can go to Jesus for healing. We can go to God and say, God, I need healing. We can also go to God on the behalf of others. Lord, this person needs healing. And sometimes God just steps in himself without anybody asking and he heals. This is the picture of what we see with Christ. Now, we started off talking about the Garden of Eden. and We started off talking about the temple. What does this have to do with the temple? Well, let me show you. Put the slide up there for me, Kai. Where does the leper allowed to go in the temple? Nowhere. His life is outside here. Jesus is saying, I'm breaking down this wall. The wall, it's open to all. Whether you are clean, unclean, whether you've got a past, whether you have no past, it is open to everyone. Then Jesus heals the Gentile. Where is the Gentile allowed to go? Only in this outer area. He's breaking down the wall and allowing the Gentile to come in. Where are the women allowed to go? They're not allowed to go anywhere in the holy places. They're only in the women's court. Jesus breaks down the women's court. He is saying there are no walls. You can go ahead and go to the next one, Kai. There are no walls between the God of the universe and us. Now, thanks be to God. So what's the point of that? 
oh, that's interesting, that's unique, okay? We've got these places in the temple that now people could go to. But look at what else he says in verse 16. That evening they brought him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what the prophet had spoken. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This pain and this death that is there because of sin, he takes away. It is taken away. And not just for the leper, not just for the centurion Gentile, not just for the women, but for all of us. Look at what it says in verse, verse 10. When Jesus says, I'm, he marvels. He says, I have never found faith like this in Israel. I tell you, those will come from east and west. People from all over are going to come and sit at the feast, which praise be to God, because as far as I know, I don't know of any of you who are Jewish. None of you are Israelites. You are allowed in because of the fact that Jesus broke down the walls. All the nations. Now you're going, okay, wait a second. Pastor John, you said Gentile, and you said, you know, the leper, and you said the woman. How, how is it about the rest of us? Because it still looks like we're not in the Holy of Holies yet. You remember, there's the, the most holy place and then the Holy of Holies. But let's fast forward to the end of Matthew, to something that Matthew brings out very distinctly. Matthew 27, verse 50. Jesus is on the cross cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. This is the culmination of what Jesus is starting right here. He's saying, yep, lepers, you're unclean. I'm going to make you clean. Come on in. Gentiles, you're unclean. No, come on in. Women, you're considered unclean. Come on in. Oh, and by the way, all of us are unclean. God is keeping us at arm's length saying, your sin can't be in my presence. And then Jesus' death on the cross, as he breathes his last, the curtain tears from top to bottom so that you know it's not man that does it. It was God and those cherubim, they fall to the ground, they no longer keep us out. The keep away sign becomes a come all who are weary and I will give you rest. The cross has split the veil. The cross has taken the Holy of Holies and opened it to all of us. Because Jesus is the wall breaker. He's the communion restorer. He's the relationship rebuilder. The walls are broken down. And then look at this. Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. There will be no, they will need no lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light. They will reign forever and ever. We return to the garden. And the tree of life, which is what we eat that gives us eternal life, will never be without fruit. This is because of what Christ did on the cross. He starts with the outside wall, then the internal walls, all the way to the final wall that keeps us at arm's length. We 
will dwell with God. Sin will be no more. So here is our big idea. I promised it to you. Jesus breaks down walls to God by bringing fallen humanity into communion with a holy God. This is the best news possible. A leper, a centurion, a woman. One who's physically excluded, one who's ethnically excluded, one who's sexually excluded, and then all of us who are, because of our sin, one drop of sin is enough to destroy us in the presence of a holy God. But Christ comes in and says, I'm taking this, come into my presence. Jesus is making all things new. We outsiders are now insiders in Christ. We outsiders now have relationship with God in Christ. We get to see God. We get to commune with him. And we get the little glimpse. Remember I told you Jesus is coming and bringing little pockets of heaven right here and right now. And he does that in our lives because when we get right with the Lord, when we submit, when we say, I'm done being a rebel, Lord, you're in charge. When we submit like that, he brings heaven on earth in our hearts because what, what is our heart? It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the Spirit's going to reside in us as the final proof that we are his. These healings are giving us a taste. Next week as we look at the miracles, it's giving us a taste to let us know that this is what's coming for those who are in Christ. And if you're here today and you have not done that, or if you're here today and you're not feeling that heaven right now, and you're going, I'm not feeling this little pocket of heaven, then maybe you've allowed some stuff to get in there, or maybe you've never experienced it. The, 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 the antidote is the same. Submit. Put your arms down. Put your weapons down. That you're fighting against God. And say, Lord, I want you. You made the way. You took the keep out sign and you tore it in two. You have provided a way. This is what the entire Bible is about. Don't miss it. We are going to celebrate communion here in a minute. And this is an opportunity for us to reenact what we just heard of what Christ did on the cross, the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood, all so we can have the God of the universe approach us. Nothing we do, even taking of these elements, does not get us to God. God came to us. He came off the mountain. He came to us to make things right with us so that we could have a relationship with him. What an incredible God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this passage. Lord, thank you for these stories. And they're incredible stories, these healings that you have done. There's so much more that we could cover, so many more things that we could dig into. But Lord, this, this big picture is a good reminder that you have broken down the wall of separation between us and you. Lord, now as we take communion together, those that know you will be able to revel and, and joy in the fact that you have made things right, that your son's death on the cross has made things right. Lord, please allow us to see that anew for the first time. In Jesus' name, amen.